1: Hello and welcome to the Wisdom Cricket Weekly podcast. I'm your caretaker host, Joe Harmon, and joining me today is a familiar voice to regular listeners of the pod, Wisdom Cricket Monthly's editor in chief, Phil Walker. Hello, Phil. Hello, Joe. Morning. Good morning. And alongside us, for his very first appearance on the show, is Wisden's next cab off the rank, James Wallace. <laughs> Hello, Jim. Hello, Joe. Um, Phil. Now yes, it's cricket. been it's been no it's been a while since I hosted the podcast. Can mm. you remember the last time I hosted it?
2: Uh, World Cup final. It was. Uh, You, me and Felix spirited away into the MCC library. Um, I think we were breaking all kinds of protocols there, but we got it done, didn't we? Felix was in tears. Yeah. Uh, you and I had taken a drink. You, just, you especially. Uh, I was technically working. You
1: just kissed the Daily Mail's Paul Newman on his bald head.
2: Yeah, on his pate, yeah. um, and Lawrence and Lawrence Booth squarely on the lips. I have, have to apologise for that later in the week. Yeah, that, God.
1: Anyway, so this, calmer, there's been Some
2: stuff happened then since then. Calmer,
1: calmer times, but I bring it up because coincidentally, that was also Mark Wood's most recent cricket match. Oh, that's good. Prior to this tour of South Africa, which obviously. Uh, I mean, I should also admit that I, I said he shouldn't be taken to South Africa. Because yeah. it was a risk not worth taking. So, obviously, I was completely wrong on that. Um, and this six-month gap from from all cricket uh, made his performances in South Africa all the more impressive. And now, Phil, I think he was the focus of your moment of the week.
2: Yeah. <laughs> what, n- nine wickets, nine for 100-odd. Um,
1: the best by an England bowler overseas since Ryan side bottom in New Zealand in 2008.
2: Is that right? Excellent. There's an, any number of moments from that game Um Anything that Mark Wood does at the moment is has got such sort of vim and and vigour and ebullience. that he's brilliantly watchable. He's clearly very popular within that setup as well, mm. and you can also see in the way that he communicates that he, he now believes in himself because he has a body of work behind him that I don't think he, he felt like he'd ever had until that World Cup. I think that World Cup was a real sort of sliding doors moment in his in his. His sense of self-belief, his sense of achievement as well as much as anything else. The, the moment has to be that delivery to Milan in the first innings, 151 point... I should do my research. 151.7, I think, KPH. Uh, just obscene, really. And, and Butler takes it 30, 30 yards back in front of his face. And, um, and it, it does actually beg the question, where does he stand in the quickest of the quick for England? you know i I saw Malcolm oh, we' took all, all time you uh, all time yeah. genuinely all time I saw Malcolm here in ninety doing this at the Oval. I saw Malcolm here in ninety three against Australia now famously in ninety four you know he bowled South Africa out blah 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 but in ninety three he was he he bowled around 92, 93 mile an hour in that first innings, and Michael Slater, who was opening the batting at that time, said it's the quickest spell he's ever faced in his in his career. Gooch, weirdly, was at short leg, aged about 38 <laughs> in that game, and he said it's the, the quickest spell he's ever seen as well, right. and he'd played, obviously, for 20 years. Um, Mark Wood is is in that bracket. So, he's in that bracket of the quickest of the quick.
1: According to QuickViz, his average speed across the third and fourth tests was 87.6 miles an hour. That's the fastest by an England bowler in a series since 2006. So have that as an average speed. So it's not just that you can bowl at 92 miles an hour every now and again to bowl at that speed that consistently uh is rare well it's only it's rare in world cricket
2: it's rare in world cricket it's rare for him as well because in the first iteration of Mark Wood as an international cricketer he would have moments of explosiveness but because of the strain that he was putting on his body due to that eccentric run up uh he would fall away quite quite quickly and second spells third spells second innings as well it would be harder for him to, to crank it up again. But as he said himself after the Joe Berg game, he says he feels a lot more comfortable in his in his action now and he's not having to force the body through the crease in the way that he did originally. And Michael Holding on, on TV was especially good at that, in terms of analysis of that. And he actually had spoken to Wood a year or two ago and said, mate, you've got to sort this run out. Oh, really? Run up out. Yeah. I uh, did you like my Jamaican accent there? That was strong. It? That was yeah. Uh, <laughs> I thought it was Welsh. Um,
0: I saw uh, Goff said that he thinks Wood is England's fastest ever bowler. Did he? Yeah, he said that before the but m- before the match started. I think. Okay. So that's, he said, you know, you can take your Bob Willis's and your John Snows and
1: all that sort of stuff, and Devon Malcolm. And he said he thinks Wood is the quickest. And then, how much of that do we think? Is because he's playing so infrequently. I mean, if you don't play that often, it is obviously easier to bowl faster if fully fit. Yeah. Uh, and this idea that we 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 wrap him in cotton wool and he plays one or two Test matches a year—how yeah. sustainable <laughs> is that? You know, you, for instance, does he does he play in Sri Lanka? Does he still start for you in Sri Lanka? I think if he's fit, he does.
0: That you know, that's don't we want pace on sort of deadish pitches, isn't that the whole the whole point? And I think um, I think his ward is he brings you know he he says he's an all rounder but he's, he's clearly not but he, he did a he had a great match with the bat and he, he brings people along with him so I don't mm. know, they, they they look to more joyous team um, the past few matches that he's played so there's all that that he brings to it as well so um, yeah for me he would play
1: amazing so he averaged 47.5 with the bat in those two test matches describing himself as a as an all-rounder and took 12 wickets of 13.58
2: well he can have his his wife and father to thank this is lovely his, isn't it well, what was the story was here Phil for those who haven't heard it well you you, you t- turned me on to it actually you know as ever I'm at least five steps behind with these things but over the winter aware that South Africa's bouncy pitches would test him uh, he, he got his wife and his father not at the same time that would be over the top to, to load up the bowling machine uh, up in the northeast and crank it up and Bang it in short, and and he developed a better game to play that short ball, and you saw it. You know, he got on the pull, got on the hook.
1: Some of the shots he was playing were absolutely extraordinary. Yeah,
2: you could see in the changing room they were. You know, Stokes is is loving
0: it. He's sort of thinking, you know, that is a that is a fantastic shot. I like that. I thought I think I put it uh, said it to you, Joe. That. In in the Rocky montage of Mark Wood's life, that would definitely be in there. His his wife and his father. Sort of, <laughs> yeah. That's like Sylvester Stallone pumping logs on a on a
2: in, a, in an ar- in an Arctic wood somewhere. That is, I think that's you, fantastic. You, you make that point, though, Jim, that he takes people along, and there is definitely that feeling in this team. And if you look at the sort of collective psyche of this England team, there's quite a lot of. I mean, they they are broadly a nice bunch of lads, and I'm not saying that in a sort of sanitized way. I think they are generally, certainly in our experience over yeah. the years. Um, but they don't have uh, a particularly kind of bubbly, exuberant presence in that side. Um, they're quite an introverted collection of blokes. Uh, there is presence in there, and obviously Stokes carries them as the alpha in the in the, the setup. But, but they need a little bit of sparkle, a little bit of irreverence in there as well. And that's where he comes in without a doubt. They clearly adore him.
1: And on the on the sorry on the bad days as well as as the good, it's important to have someone like Mark Wood as well, isn't it? Absolutely. It used to be, um, funnily
0: enough, it used to be Root, didn't it? Who used to be the sort of impish, uh, making the you know sort of cutting you know, people's socks and all, all that, that, that hilarious sort of, yeah, gang, putting masks of Bob Willis on and, and all that sort of. And and you could see how the captaincy Root has seemed a bit more ch- uh, cheerful, you know, with re- with good reason recently. But there was a time where he looked particularly sort of out of sorts for. A year or so. Yeah, and well,
2: I guess just as an aside, en route, when you think about where he was on December. You were calling 30th. for his head three weeks ago, oh, weren't I you? Thought you, know? you were <laughs> I thought it was a very balanced and nuanced <laughs> plot there. Uh, it was. did not good to play,
0: so yeah. uh, I'm, yeah, I'm keeping my powder dry.
1: <laughs> well, let's, yeah. let, but let's talk about <laughs> the this. Glass houses, Joey. Let's talk about this, this turnaround, though, because after the first test, after sickness ran through the camp, after Rory Burns bust his ankle. This was shaping up for kind of a horror tour of all horror tours.
2: I think in years to come we'll be writing about this tour. Yeah. It's a real landmark tour, I think. And it's got so many details in it. As you outlined, Joe, that it was, it threatened to be a career ender for certain figures in there.
1: And for Root's captaincy, potentially.
2: Very much so. It had all of the off field traumas that that add so much colour to a disaster story. Uh, and then and then it flipped and it flipped on a number of uh, for a number of reasons, but if you're looking for a kind of a clinching moment where the the momentum of the series changed, I think it was that fourth morning for me at Cape Town when Stokes came out, and England had played not well ish on days two and three but poorly on day one and Pope got them out of jail on day one at Cape Town and Stokes came out to bat on day four and it was a little not in the balance but England were up in the game but only 60% up in the game and Stokes came out and it's 70 and 40 balls suddenly with Sibley stonewalling to an excellent 100 at the other end suddenly you've opened up the game and given yourself enough time as as we know now they needed all of that time to get that result without that intervention by Stokes and of course his finish in that game Mm -hmm. It would have been 1-0 and then it would have been a different kind of story. It would have been tetchy and twitchy. But I think after it went 1-1, with England obviously the ascendant team, player for player, then... Uh, it became more inevitable I think the way the series played out but it, again it's Stokes he's the man of the series he's the man of the series every se- series he plays
1: and Joe Roots described it as his uh, best achievement as England's captain and now England are suddenly doing pretty well in the World Test Championships they've got because the New Zealand one didn't count I had a look at that today helpfully yeah. uh, we're up to third with, yeah Sri Lanka really? yeah, we're third. a yeah. two Test series against Sri Lanka with loads of points up for grabs Yeah, um, England now look kind of reasonably well on course to push him for promotion pushing for that yeah
0: it's an interesting one, isn't it? I, I think I can't get my head around it. I, it could be because I'm a bit slow on the update. But will the Sri Lanka series, those two tests, carry the same amount of weight as three tests against Pakistan and five tests against Australia? Does it work like that?
2: It's a part of the championship, yeah. yeah. So there's 120 points, I think, available for those two test matches. Yeah. So if you win a test match, you get 60 points uh, in Sri Lanka. Yeah. If you were to win a test match in England in the Ashes, you get 24 points so yeah it's it's a lot to play for yeah look, it's the same so
0: when england go to india
1: at the start of 2021 (laughs) if they manage to win a test match out of there which would be a huge achievement it would only be one out of five tests and they wouldn't be getting huge amount of points for it yeah but this is the system we work with um jim your moment of the week also from the south africa series
0: yeah um mine is it's Slightly melancholy moment of the week. No. Um, yeah, uh, that's what I'm bringing to the show. Sort of uh, you
2: were reading Alan Bennett yesterday. I, I,
0: always um, picking beans or reading Alan Bennett. But I thought uh, something that struck me. I think it was in the last test when Crawley took one to the to the head of um, Nokia. Was it? Yeah. He, he took one to the head, and he caught. You know, he had to have the whole concussion. Timeout and the physio came on, and all that sort of thing. And he was uh, trying to find out he didn't have another helmet, um, so which he was, was a bit village. Yeah, I like, yeah. well, I, A, that's why it sort of pricked my attention because I was thinking, you know, who has, who has how many helmets do they have, and and, and where are they? So I think he was using Butler's or Don Besser's helmet, and it didn't fit. So then he had to send back. And the 12th man is, is Johnny Burstow, who has to keep running back and forth. And I thought, that sort of shows the brutal and baffling nature of cricket that Bearstow, the bloke who was told by Ed Smith to reset and recharge and, you know, maybe take a bit of time away from the game, is then dragged to New Zealand and to South Africa and not only is he on the fringes of the squad, but he is having to ferry out helmets and drinks to the people that have effectively taken his place.
1: I just thought it was a very sort of interesting slash melancholic thing to see taking him out to a helmet to a kid who no one really thought would be touring with <laughs> yeah. England this winter yeah um, ham that as a backup opener just there to get experience yeah uh, and now he looks uh, reasonably well established given how little Ma- little he's played yeah I mean, there was all that talk about jennings uh being picked as an opener for sri lanka yeah and now it now looks like crawley will yeah we'll get that spot actually well this needs leads neatly into sri lanka Uh, tour selection, Uh, there was a piece by Chris Stocks in The Guardian uh, yesterday reporting that Denley is set to be dropped, Joe Denley is set to be dropped from that tour, uh, with Bearstone moving up to three, no place for Jennings, uh, Stocks claims, and folks coming in, I guess there's, so there's no, from from this story there's no spare batsman as such, you'd have Butler and folks competing for the gloves. Whichever one doesn't keep wicket would be the reserve batsman and Bairstow's your new number three. Now, he scored a century at number three in Sri Lanka, yeah. got very little since. Is it strange that we've suddenly gone back to Bairstow and, and Denley has been ditched? It is strange.
0: I think it's very weird. The whole the whole thing
1: baffles me a little bit. Assume this is all true, by the way. I mean, Stoxy is a reliable <laughs> journalist, but yeah. we don't know for sure this is the case. Um,
0: the fact that Bairstow... Is probably going to bat three. Just just does seem slightly confused, and it's thinking if he's been told to you know go away and reset and all that sort of stuff. And then the whole Jennings thing was is quite confusing too. Um, Denley, he's done a good job. Denley, I feel slightly sorry for him that he's he's averaging more than Berto average. I think in the past year, and uh, it feels slightly harsh that he might get dropped uh, for Berto to then come back. I want to get folks in the team, but I also don't want to drop
1: Butler. So it's it is a minefield really it's in I, it always, Denley is inevitably going be a stopgap due to his due to his age and I, I saw the end coming but I thought it would be when Burns was back and then you might well end up with a top three of Burns, Sibley, Crawley uh, for Denley to get dropped for this tour if that is the case seems harsh to me it seems it'd be one of those I can understand why his position is up for debate but it seems very much like one of those ones that will look back in a few years and go they dropped Denley then that seems a bit harsh what, what do you think Phil?
2: Uh, I think we sat in this room a couple of months ago and talked about this uh, and I I said at the time that the South Africa tour was crucial for Denley's immediate future and I think what they saw uh, was a player who is eminently lovable uh, gives absolutely everything that he's got is mildly surprised to have got so far along the line as a 33, 34 year old international cricketer Uh, And also someone whose game is irrefutably limited at test level. And you saw it against the turning ball after the first test match. So he played nicely in the first test match at Centurion and they lost. Um, And he had his outshot against the spinner where he'd run down, he'd get to the pitch and he'd loft you over mid-off. After that, after they plugged that gap for Cape Town, having had a conversation about it, and they had a short, straight mid-off and an extra cover behind him, and a long off, and a deep square as well for the drag down. He had nowhere really to go against the, the turning ball. And South Africans' pitches are not particularly conducive to spin. Uh, and yet Maharaj was able to 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 contain Denley quite comfortably. Um, Denley also got out against Maharaj playing a pretty iffy kind of back foot block where he got his bat entangled with his pad and so on. And he didn't look comfortable. I didn't think against the spin bowlers. Um, in Sri Lanka, they may well open with a spinner. There's certainly going to be three three spinners in their side. Uh I think it's an it's a very, very ruthless and unsentimental move. I also happen to think that it's 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 inevitable and I think it's the right one. Whether Bearstow is the answer at three, albeit as a horses for courses kind of kind of stop gap, if you like. Obviously he made that hundred at three in Sri Lanka last time round and went berserk famously. <laughs> Afterwards. With, his, with his little necktie on. Yeah. yeah, I, I can understand why, in the short term, Besto being this kind of utility player in the England test side, I can understand why they look at it and think, OK, over six innings in Sri Lanka, Besto, we fancy he's going to score more runs than Denley. After that tour, even if Besto was to average 45 and make one defining innings at three against the spinners, it doesn't mean to say that then come May for the first test of the summer, besto bats three by any stretch of the imagination and hopefully there will be ten first class games from the start of the season to the first test of the summer where another player or even besto can put can put their hand up and or say, even I'm, I'm going to be number three. Or even Denley. So he we sure. could say besto is Denley. the stopgap for I mean, the stopgap. But, but, we, but yeah. what what I'm saying ultimately about Denley is I don't think he's good enough to bat in top three in test, test cricket. That's that's it, ultimately. And he's
0: not going to, you know, look at not in a,
2: not in a Sorry, not in a side that really fancies it. Really has begun to show the fruits of, of all of that promise that we've been banging on about for the last the last year or two. They want to be the best team in the world. They want to go to Australia. They want to go to India and play five test matches against Ashwin and Jadeja and the like, and Chahal and so on. They want to go out there and put up a fight. Joe is a lovable cricketer, but I just don't see him at number three for England in the test side, personally. And So I can understand why this may be the move.
0: Yeah, and it is, and it is... Brutal, but, you know, folks came in to Sri Lanka last time and played two tests, got a ton, got man of the series and they dropped him. So it and he's he's, you know, he's he's significantly younger and he's sort of you know known as the best gloveman in the country. So I think that I can sort of see where you're coming from. It does feel harsh. I just I'm just worried about this whole Beso thing that he is he's the next man to come in. Um,
2: they don't know what to do with, with John yeah. Bairstow. Yeah, they, I feel sorry for they him. They don't know what to do with him. And I think your point earlier is a fair one, um, that he's been drifting through the winter without any, you know, minister without portfolio kind of vibes <laughs> around Bearstone at the minute. Um, will he ever be technically secure enough to bat three for England in test cricket against seamers? That's a big, big question, Mark. Probably too big, I would say, overall. But can he bat three in Sri Lanka um, over a couple of test matches? Yeah, of course he can. We'll have an
1: interesting situation if he does get runs in Sri Lanka, yeah. um, because with Pope's emergence, Stokes looking rock solid at number five. You're not moving in. And a keeper, whoever that might be, at seven. There's not really a middle order spot for though unless you're giving the gloves back. indeed, yeah. And then we we'll just go round and round. and round. Was... That.
0: That's like an Escher painting, <laughs> or something, isn't it? You can't. I just, I'm not having that, you know. I, I do feel sorry for him, but... I think of Ben Fokes in all of this. Like He he did so well when he came in and he's watching this all. He's like almost like, you know, we see him in the canteen at Surrey and he's eating the same chilli and beans that us me and it mortals was, are. And it's, it
2: was weird when he was watching the test match yeah. and we're just sitting next to him. He must be thinking, God, so yeah. this for a game of soldiers. So it's
0: all very confusing. It, you know, I'm sure it'll all come out and play out, but... Yeah, stop gaps for stop gaps and and all that sort of thing is is a bit baffling.
1: Alright, Jim, you want Butler there, although you haven't quite worked out to keep <laughs> him in the side. Yeah. Uh, Phil, Josh Butler, what do we do with him?
2: It is is the question of the day, isn't it, in this side. Um <sighs> Josh Butler is 29, he's played 41 tests, he averages 32, or a tick under 32. He is a world superstar, a World Cup winner, and one of the precious inner sanctum of this England setup across all the formats. Um, he's such a key part of the fabric of this team, and I think still undoubtedly a player of test match quality. that's my, my, my feeling on it that to jettison, jettison him now with a bit of a shrug is too early personally Yeah. Right. Okay, good. Um I know it's it's a little bit vulgar to talk about the ashes when they're a year and a half away. And I know it's a bit vulgar to talk about India a year away. But they are they are the huge marquee series. Um you expect England to to cruise through this summer without too many dramas. There'll be some setbacks, mishaps, sure. But essentially, they are trying to build a team to go to India and not get not get thrashed and go Australia and not get thrashed and maybe even win it. Um, Butler, for me, in those two marquee series against top quality spin and real pace, uh, I want him in my team ahead of folks or Besto. personally. Uh, I think the keeping aspect uh, is... Very relevant in Sri Lanka, right? So, if we are talking about horses for courses, and I think we are in... We're getting to a point where I think the makeup of test match teams is more of a squad game than ever before. And I think that maybe allows for selectors to be a little bit funkier. To say, all right, you know, Mark Wood, you're our best fast bowler, but you're not going to be playing in Sri Lanka. You're going to stay at home and work at Loughborough or whatever. And, you know... You change the bowling attack, mm. depending on conditions. So maybe it's, it's not a disaster to change the, the keeping scenario for that specific job. Mm. Two test matches on turning pitches. Folks is clearly your best keeper. But when you go to Australia and the pitches are true and it doesn't turn laterally very much, who, who do Australia want to see well, in England's well, side? They do they want to see Josh Butler at seven or do they want to see Ben Folks at seven? And as a keeper, it's the easiest place to keep in the world. So the the benefits that folks bring you with the gloves are diminished in Australia. So for me, long-winded as ever, I think it's too early to say thanks but no thanks. He's 29. It's not like he's 32 and he's a failure.
1: I would would agree. I don't think it's time to say... Thanks, Joss. Just focus on white ball cricket. But I would, I would have folks keeping wicket in Sri Lanka. I, 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 and I, I said can that. Get with that. I said that prior to South Africa. But what that does mean is that folks has an opportunity to nail down the spot. So as much as we think Butler might be the better option in India or Australia or wherever, he might. We have to face facts. He might not get that opportunity if folks comes in and does well enough. Then we might just have to say, "Sure, sorry, Josh, there's not a spot for you." And he would have no—he would be able to have no complaints about that, especially
2: when he's off to play for Rajasthan. Be- exactly, for and
1: reasons. and because his record doesn't stack up in in Test cricket, really, aside from a few excellent innings, and really, his record doesn't stack up in first-class cricket. And this is the thing: though can fall back on his first-class record and say, "Look, I've done this against a red ball, even if my performance is terrible." Butler has not got that kind of body of runs. Um, to fall back on, and there is also going to be the temptation with Butler soon when Morgan retires, which will be sooner rather than later, to think: Is this just too much? Is it too much for him to keep wicket and bat seven and captain England's white ball sides?
2: Yeah, and and I can get get that as well. H- who do you think is the better batsman um, in the next twenty Test matches? Who would score more runs, Folks or Butler? For you, do you think at seven? Oh? I don't.
1: Well, I th- I think it's up for grabs. Do I think you? it's I think it's definitely. Up. It's hard. Butler's not done enough over the last t- previous 20, ma- 20 test matches to say it would be Butler over folks, I don't think. But then you look at folks' domestic form last year for Surrey, which, which wasn't great. And a lot of the people who are really banging the drum for him perhaps aren't looking back at his, his year for Surrey. You imagine the
2: runs Butler would get batting at five or six for Lancashire if he had 15 games to play in the summer. I
0: mean, I'm going out on a limb here. But Pope is pretty much the finished article could he move up to three later and bat at three well he's definitely got his eye on that and butler bat six so you've got you've got a a batting lineup of the two openers whoever makes it out of crawley sibley Mm -hmm. and um burns when he comes back and then you've got
2: pope root stokes butler folks yeah well when you do that when butler came back into the team he came back in as a batsman and he he looked like a proper player against india in 2018 there's loads of mitigating circumstances there that first test match he played first ashes test match was his first game of cricket since doing that run out at lords yeah. you know yeah. uh, so so it's it's ludicrous to think that he's going to be fully switched on to yeah. five five day red ball cricket blah 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 By the end of the summer, he looked like a a really good player at number seven. Made a 70 and a 47 here at the Oval. He made a very good 40 as well before that at Old Trafford in a difficult situation. He made a very good, really good 40 odd, 44 I think it was, in the first test at New Zealand. And it looked like he'd found the right balance of tempo, responsibilities to take the gloves, and understanding what England need at number seven. I thought... It pretty much cracked it. I don't think it's it's been uncracked because he's he's had a, a roughish run uh, in South Africa. One or two of those instances, sure. I mean, he's not looked great um, initially uh, in certain in, certain innings. He's looked tentative in certain innings in South Africa, no doubt. He's also looked okay in a couple as well, but he's he's left with nothing, left with the tail, and you know he ends up just smashing one up in the air. That's happened twice in that series. So I don't think the sample size personally is big enough. To, to, to write him off. Uh, You'd rather give state. him more
0: games, that old thing of giving him more games.
1: and, and, and yeah. it, look, it looks it's like England will, will give him that, that chance in Sri Lanka if, if reports to be believed. Anyway, the Butler story or question will, <laughs> will continue to rumble on, no doubt. Um, if all that talk of a series in Sri Lanka has whetted your appetite, why not be part of the action with our travel partners, Experience Travel Group? A trip to Sri Lanka this March is the ideal opportunity to not only watch test cricket in one of the world's most picturesque grounds, but also to explore a vibrant and beautiful island, offering incredible wildlife, fascinating history, great food and friendly cricket mad locals. Earlier, Wisden Starha Hashim spoke to Nick Clark from Experience Travel Group.
3: Hi Nick, thanks for joining us on the Wisden Cricket Weekly Podcast. Straight off the bat, what makes Sri Lanka a special place to watch cricket?
4: Hi. Yeah, so um I mean the, the, the various reasons really that, that, that make Sri Lanka such a such a great, great place to watch cricket. Um I mean I think I think firstly is uh, the most the most kind of famous of those is 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 Galle Cricket Ground um which is is one of the most beautiful and picturesque places to watch cricket um anywhere in the world really. Um, i mean you 've got the, the Gulf Fork kind of behind you um, and the Indian Ocean kind of kind of all around and, and it, it just becomes such an atmospheric atmospheric place, um, but also beyond that it's just it 's it's just the the, the the place and the people and the country as a, as a place to watch it the, you know The people are so enthusiastic about cricket um, they 're so enthusiastic about visitors um, and it 's just become such a fun and a lively and vibrant vibrant place with with kind of lots of noise and lots of lots of colors and and um yeah just is 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 a magnificent place really
3: and how does experience travel group add to that experience
4: well we're we're um i mean so we're we're, we're tailor-made um hotels uh, holiday specialists um who have a long history in in sri lanka um we've been selling holidays there for for 15 years um and um what we therefore bring um is a is an ability to kind of combine the cricket um, with a with a with a holiday as, as as well, and so that you can kind of experience Sri Lanka, um, not just go and see the cricket, but you can you can experience what else there is to to, to offer. Um, we offer a kind of very kind of personalised service, so um, it's 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 great for for, it means that you can kind of tailor the holiday to to how you want it to be so whether that's kind of focused on on just one of the test matches or both of the test matches um or whether that's kind of to have the test matches at at the end of a of a two-week holiday we can really kind of tailor that um, we then offer a kind of very personalised service, kind of while you're while you're in goal, um, and it's it's great for those sort of people who, who like to have a bit of a social side of it, but but at the same time don't want to be kind of tied down to a to a group. Um, so we have a couple of kind of drinks functions. Um, you know, people get to know each other, but at the same time, you know, you've got your own you're left to your own devices a little bit, um, and you can kind of go off and and, and have dinner dinner yourself. Um, and then we also, I mean, one of the I think the, probably the uh, the biggest selling points of, 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 or the biggest points of difference really of, of what we do, um, especially in Gaul, is we actually have a, a, a sort of rep on, on hand and, and we have a guy called Henry who will go around um, uh, and uh, keep going to the bar basically and make sure that you're, you're stocked up with, with beers and, and, and generally kind of looked after.
3: And uh, what kind of experiences outside of cricket do people most uh, particularly enjoy?
4: Again, it's a it's a it's a real range. Um, I mean, one of the great things with Sri Lanka is is the variety that that that's on offer. Um, so, a lot of people who you know, a, a classic thing to do if you're going to go to both test matches um, is you know, in the two or three days in between, would be to go to, to Yala National Park or Udawalawe National Park and see some elephants or. or, or Try and look for some leopards. Um, perhaps combine that with a with a visit to a, to a tea plantation. Um, but likewise, if if you want to go further afield, you've got some fantastic ancient monuments. You've got candy and the and the kind of cultural cultural heartland up there. Um, you've got some brilliant beaches, um, particularly around kind of Gaul. So um, you know, if you wanted to combine the time in, in, in Gaul with um, them with, with, with some time on the beach, you've you've got that kind of option. Um, and you've got some really amazing kind of boutique hotels, um, and uh, yeah, just a whole whole range of kind of culture to, to keep kind of everyone happy.
3: And finally, where can uh, people go to learn more about the Experience Travel Group and its plans for England's store of Sri Lanka?
4: Yeah, well, the best best place to go is is, is our website, which is uh, experiencetravelgroup.com. Yeah. Um, but if, if you'd like to know any, anything specific, um, then, then feel free to, to give us a call on 0207 924 7133. Um, or alternatively, you can, you can drop me an email personally. i uh, happy to provide you some, some information. We've got some sort of sample holidays. Um, or we can just you know, have a conversation and, and, and see, what can, see what can work to, to suit you. Um, and my email address is nick, N-I-C-K, at experiencetravelgroup.com.
3: Brilliant, Nick. That all sounds great. Thank you for coming on the podcast. No
4: problem. Thanks a lot.
1: Okay, we have a major World Tournament just around the corner. The Women's T20 World Cup begins on February 21st with Australia taking on India in the tournament Curtain raiser at Sydney. Before that, England, who've not won the World T20 since the inaugural competition in 2009, play a tri-series against those two teams, beginning with a match against India on Friday. Uh, it's the start of a, a new era for the England women's team with Lisa Kitely Uh, becoming the national team's first female full-time coach earlier this month following the sacking of Mark Robinson in the wake of last summer's comprehensive Ashes defeat. Uh, Phil, looking back to last summer, the golfing class between Australia and England looked considerable. Mm. Uh, Is it too much to expect for England to close that gap and, and win this tournament, given the upheaval, given the fact that it's in Australia, or is this T20 and anything can happen?
2: Well, I think you've sort of answered that there, bang on because of the the format itself, you always have a chance. And England, um, last summer against Australia, uh, held their own better in the 20-over format than in the 50 or obviously in the four-day game. Um, So, yeah, they've they've got half a chance. They've got a puncher's chance. Australia are rewriting the rules, as we've said on this show before. Uh, In the field in particular, up top with the bat, they are ferocious, and they have two all-timers in in Lanning and Perry, so there's no question that they go in there as almost joke favourites. But uh, but the Lisa Kiteley era um, looks remarkably like the old era in terms of the personnel in the side, um, certainly within the batting lineup. Yeah, uh, but shifting one or two players around in that order, getting Nat Siver at number three and Sconce now at number three uh Danny Wyatt made seventy seventy seven, 77 I think it was in the in that warm up game um she is a match winner she's taken australia for a 52 ball 100 before so uh she can she can turn it on especially in the 20 over stuff i think if england are going to hold on to australia at any point then it's then it is in the short form um and
1: they beat them in the final t20 of that of that ashes which
2: yeah means something yeah eccleston bowled especially well that day yeah. um she's you know top class left arm uh, spinner so, you know, they have they have reasons to be optimistic, but also in their bones, they'll be terrified of that, that, that big yellow juggernaut.
1: Yeah, well, I spoke to Tammy Beaumont uh, last week, I think it was, uh, and she said last summer was the, the toughest they've had as a, as a squad by by some distance. And she benefited from the Mark Robinson era probably better than, yeah. more than any other player. And the, the turnaround in her career is, that is remarkable. No one scored more runs cross-format, uh, runs in women's international cricket than, than mm. Tammy since Mark Robinson's appointment. And before that, she was about to give up and become a sports massage therapist. So it has been an incredible time. Interestingly with with um, Beaumont, she's going to be, it looks like she might well be back at number six in this she kind of in six in that finisher's thing. role, uh, which is a new role for her. It partly comes about because she's not been in great form in T20 cricket, I think. And it's partly that desire to get Nat Siver up the order because I think there is that sense that how, given how good Sivir is, uh, and how aggressively she can play, and how many boundaries she can hit, England aren't necessarily always getting the most out of her. So I, I like that, and it's as a, sign a move. Of,
2: It's a sign of looking for power, looking for for greater presence up top as well. Yeah, you know, and this is how the game is going more and more. You know, Beth Mooney smashes it at the top of the order for Australia. You know, and it's 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 like a pinch hitter type role. Sivir is England's most powerful. Uh, kind of demonstratively strong player and so it makes sense that she's up there at three and Amy Amy Jones who's yet to crack it in truth really she's potential as yet not quite delivered but she's massively highly regarded within the setup, and she is still quite young despite the fact that she's been around for a while Uh, so she looks like she will open the batting with Wyatt, Siver at three Uh, and then the middle order of, of Knight and Beaumont and Fran Wilson in there as well to see how they go
1: the other interesting pick in that squad is Sarah Glenn, a uh, mm. young leg spinner who uh, yeah, impressed for Loughborough one. in the Keir Super League. Um, and yeah, England have had so many good finger spinners over the years, but have never really had a leg spinner. Charlotte Edwards is actually the last person to take lots right? lots of wickets as a leg spinner for England for England women. Uh, Sophia Dunkley was a sort of part-timer, didn't bowl a huge amount for England. Uh, and um, yeah, Tammy spoke about the importance of having that leg spinner, that in whether it's men's or women's cricket, every T20 side in the world has at least one good leg spinner, and often it's their best, most effective bowler. Yeah. And England have, have lacked that. Uh, Sarah Glenn did really well in Malaysia um, in England's recent series against mm-hmm. Pakistan, mm-hmm. leading wicket-taker in the ODIs. Uh, and Tammy said it's, it's added a new element to the side which they've lacked. Uh, and Lisa Kightley referenced Sarah when I was there at the squad announcement saying going into these big tournaments, having a couple of players that not everyone actually knows uh, can be really, really useful. Probably particularly in women's cricket, where there isn't necessarily the the, the amount of footage to, to pour over as you get in the men's men's formats,
2: and and pace off the ball as well. It, it applies obviously across across the genders, across the formats, but it's especially potent in in women's cricket in twenty over cricket. I think you know that the, the slower through the air, the more guile and finesse that you can offer. And obviously, the leg spinner is top of the tree when it comes to those kinds of traits. The better your chances are of containing containing players. Um, so yeah, it's it's a positive move. Uh, it's an attacking move. I haven't seen a bowler ball. I have to have to confess. Um, but yeah, they go into this this big one in Australia. Katie Perry will be there.
1: She's launching, is she at the final or the opening? I can't remember. I think, she, I think she's
2: batting first. First wicket down. I think. Yeah, she's first, first drop. drop yeah. And
1: then the final itself at the MCG, they're trying to break the record for a women's sporting event, mm. uh, which I think is about 95,000, something like that. And it's on international women's day as well. So it would be, well, whatever happens, it'll be an amazing spectacle, but if we can get England, Australia facing off at the MCG, that'd wow. be, or uh, to be honest, I think, reckon they're probably hoping it's India, Australia over there yeah. because you get the, get the eyeballs on the game, sure. uh, which is perhaps the more <laughs> likely scenario given the recent form, uh, like all Jay- soundtrack by Katy Perry all, so. all by Katy Perry yeah um Jim, do you reckon <laughs> oh, to be on in truth if England gets to the final is that a satisfactory result given what's gone on recently
0: i think so i think um they would i mean they would never say it but they would probably take that um before the tournament gets going i think there's always, they've all they've they've got a chance they 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 as you say they they did beat them in that final match uh, in the summer um it's that thing, isn't it? But then, you know, you never know what happens. Australia are the clear favourites, but England men's team were the clear favourites in the 2019 World Cup and they sort of spluttered their way through to the latter stages. So it's all just that dreaded word momentum, isn't it? So if they start well, then you never know.
1: It's just Australia, I think they've won four of the last five T20 World Cups. To have that consistency yeah. in a format where consistency doesn't generally exist, it just shows how good they are. It's and terrifying, isn't terrifying, it? terrifying they've yeah. got a lot better over the last couple of years. Yes, yeah, so it's not fair. I would say... <laughs> Um, There is another World Tournament going Mm. on at the moment. The Men's Under-19 World Cup is going on in South Africa as we speak. Uh, Fair to say it's not been a tournament to remember for England, not for the first time, unfortunately, who failed to qualify from their group after defeats to West Indies and Australia. They're now in the plate competition. Beat Nigeria, though. They did, they (laughs) did. Taking the (laughs) positives, Phil. Um, So they're in the plate competition, effectively playing for ninth place now, which is not Plate just sounds... Not great, yeah. doesn't it? It's like getting the yeah. kind of most improved award at the end of a. Yeah. Got a few of those, actually. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I was quite happy my at the time at I didn't <laughs> use that as an example. Um, they, uh, I was watching that game against Australia, England's game against Australia yeah. with you, Phil. Uh, they should have got over the line there, really, shouldn't they?
2: Yeah, they should have done. Uh, it was an absolute signal. And if they had done, they'd have been through to the quarterfinals. So
1: Australia won that off the last delivery, winning by two wickets. Uh, England I mean, needed 10 of off
2: the last. 10 off the last over, it was. Yeah. England kind
1: of fell apart a bit, didn't they?
2: Yeah, they needed something like 40, something from 16 balls. Um, should have been England's game, really. Especially when the scores in the tournament amongst the good sides have been 220s, 230s. You know, they should have just cruised at England, really, to be honest. Um, uh, they'd lost to the West Indies out-muscled as much as anything else against the West Indies uh, beforehand um, a few days before that Australia game and the Australia game was a was a choker uh, it, crumbs of comfort uh, Charlesworth at the top of the order Yeah, uh, the Gloucester lefty um, who I actually saw in the flesh playing for Gloucester last year towards the back end of the season he made a really good 40-odd in a first-class game.
1: Which looks more like his format at the moment, doesn't it? He looks more like a kind of traditional first-class player than a a one-day player.
2: Yeah, I think that's fair. Probably he's a kind of statuesque, old-school-looking, left-handed, opening bat, top-order bat. Uh, Ian Bishop actually called him out. No, called him out, suggested he tried to fight him. (laughs) I don't mean that at all. Identified him as as a proper player to watch on the back of that 80-odd he made against Australia. But looking at that game, England were... In a really good position after 30 overs of that, that game, batting first, and they, they rather ballsed it up, unfortunately, from there on in. Um, th- things to take from it from a from an, uh, kind of stand offish sort of p- perspective, really. We do have a couple of lads on the ground. Yaz Rana. Um, Who you
1: know from podcasts such as Wisdom Cricket Weekly podcast. Indeed,
2: yeah. yeah, indeed. Come back soon, Yaz. Anyway, he's on the ground, and he said that it's quite striking that England's Seamers are not the most physically imposing let's say. Mm. um, Or the quickest. Or indeed the mm. quickest, yeah. Mm. Uh, Just as an aside on that, uh, a press release from the ECB has just come through. In the the last few minutes they've created um, the introduction of the England Pace Bowling Development Contracts of which Ollie Stone, Craig Overton and Saki Mahmood are the first recipients. And this is a new thing that the ECB has rolled out um, where in collaboration with their county they will be taking a much Closer, more granular uh, assessment of how these quicks are going during the course of the season. So it's a way, in effect, of sort of centralising these players without giving them central contracts. I suppose okay. like a halfway house. But it's it's a, it's an indication of the precariousness of bowling quick um, in the in the professional game, uh, and especially if you happen to be an, an English cricketer as well. We can get carried away, because Mark Wood is this great, beautiful Geordie outlier. <laughs> but the reality is that it's hard graft that players break down and we don't uh produce quicks to the same degree as say South Africa do and obviously Australia do. It's hard
0: when they're young as well, you know, they I only saw a bit of it but they looked young. Did you say Joe that they have to be young under the 19 to to qualify to play?
1: So they can be 19 uh, there's a cut-off date basically yeah. of sometime late last year. So for instance, Jamie Smith at Surrey who's England's probably best 19-year-old wasn't able to play because he wasn't 19 at a... Yeah. He was 19 so to earn, So he's early, in basically. sort
0: of a weird hinterland between yeah. over-19s and then, you know, big men's cricket. But uh, I think because those those lads who play in the test team, you know, they look young, but was there anyone that stuck out, as you know, because 19 is, you know, they, they could play, they could make the grade and step up. Yeah.
2: So. It's a really hard uh, f- tournament to properly predict, I think. For every instance of Ben Stokes going out and hitting an 80 ball 100 as a 19 year old there's an instance of Joe Root being able to not being able to hit it off the square Josh Butler not really doing too much either in that particular side when they when they did have a very good side um Ollie Pope didn't play in one there's a lot of players who they just emerge at different times and they fall back at different times and I think they
1: can also fall through the cracks perhaps not so much now but certainly used to that you could be a very good player for your county not necessarily be fully recognized at Hmm. international level
2: But it is a frustration. The English system is, you know, they're very proud of it. And and overall, I think they probably should be. Uh, But since 98, when England won it, um, you know, the Rob Key, Stephen Peters, Graham Napier, O.A. Schar era, uh, they haven't really, really got close. Um, And you would think with the amount of resource that the English system has.
1: The team with Joe Clark did reasonably well, however long ago that was. Um, did they get to the semis? Can't remember, but, but yeah, it's been a long time since they have really threatened, and they've had some really poor performances along the way. Yeah. I and mean, they, well, they got to the quarterfinals last time, didn't they? And then got Lloyd Pope, the the kind of scarecrow gingerhead, yeah, leg eight, spinner, eight for, tore, tore, tore through them. Yeah. Um, uh, but, and
2: but then India comfortably beat Australia in the quarterfinal. So yeah, India the f- played them, and, and India will will be the overriding favourites again, as we've said before. You know, the talent pool is obviously terrifying, and. and isn't there this this thing where, in effect, it's kind of their B team in, in some respects as well? Well, India
1: don't let you play in the tournament. This used to be the rule anyway. I'm not completely sure if it's the case for their squad, but Rail Dravid said they don't let players play in the same tournament twice. So if they won it at 17, mm. uh, which some of their players did, they're mm. not going to play again because they've already had their chance. Yeah. It's
2: um, only fair, isn't it? I think, yeah. That, no, no, no I, I guess so, but it's just well, shows they've got some they, need they can to leave get certain through. players at home.
1: So, yeah. yeah, India, the first team through to semi finals, beat Australia by 74 runs. Uh, injury added to insult after Aussie opener Jake Fraser McGurk oh, who looks a serious player actually does. Um, had to fly home after he was scratched on the face by a monkey during a team outing at a nature reserve did this get, did this guy get bitten
0: on a team sort of bonding it was a, It was
1: just after they'd been defeated and they're out at a nature reserve on a kind of team, team yeah team bonding day out um, Fraser McGurk said I guess that serves me right for getting too close to the enclosure that's a lesson learned and they do say the under 19 World Cup is all about kind of Deliving. developmental process and, and learning what you should and shouldn't do yeah. uh, and he's learned a valuable lesson
2: he does look a good player that's definitely mm. a worthwhile take wristy yeah
0: <laughs> maybe he'll become sort of um, superhuman in a way now
2: You've just got to get that monkey off his back oh, oh dear oh dear alright then
1: moving on um this is gonna be, a bit weird, because Yaz usually asks me and Phil, but because Yaz isn't here, I'm going to have to ask Phil as though I had no involvement in the magazine. Oh, but the magazine. there is also a new issue of Wisdom Cricket Monthly out this week <laughs> on January 30th. Phil, what's in there this month? I
2: have no idea, Joe. You tell this me. Is, this
1: is usually why I do this bit, isn't it?
2: <laughs> that it's it's the heart of the game. You said on on the Twitters today that it's you think it's the best cover that we've done in our 20 I do. I mean that.
1: It that shifts. wasn't just social media sensationalism, I actually really? mean that.
2: <laughs> actually it has gone down extremely well, um among the team. Uh and the rank and file of, of Wisdom Towers and all of that. It, I can see why, uh, I have to say, even if I do say so myself. It's 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 a twenty three, twenty four page monster feature dealing with the uh the state of the English game as it as it seems now. Um dealing with well, throwing it forward towards the the doomsday moment, the Judgment Day moment of the 100 later this summer, of course. Uh, We look at the ongoing scourge of corruption in cricket and how the ECB and cahoots with the ICC and other boards around the world are manfully trying to to deal with what is still a very live and real problem. Um, The ICC just... I did that piece. The ICC were impressively open, I thought, and and candid. Um, in, In terms of you know kind of recognizing just how real and relevant that particular problem is uh we look at the the cost of cricket in english cricket as well you know that simple simply the uh, the the hit to the pocket that, that the game uh, demands of its fans uh you did that piece joe we we have Raph Nicholson looking at the women's game we have, uh, help me out, grassroots participation, grass Sou- participation, South Asian
1: action plan, um, which is really the big issue that underpins the whole, whole thing, because if, if no one's playing the game, then we haven't really got a game to, to write yeah. about or to watch. or James Order
2: does that brilliant brilliant piece and about uh, South Asian cricket and how it's been such an untapped yet fertile ground for, for the English game at a recreational level, and obviously of course how that moves up along the levels. Uh, the, the, the thing on The 100, we speak to, let me count these up, one, two, three, seven different voices from from Bumble to Daryl Mitchell, the PCA chairman, to the excellent Will Brown, chief executive of Gloucester, um, to the founder of the Oppose the 100 campaign, to Tom Harrison himself, the ECB chief exec, plus Stuart Law as well, Middlesex coach. So we've tried to get a range of voices in there to try and unpick this uh, this volatile issue. Um, uh, we've tried to be fair and balanced, Joe. We
1: what have. I mean, we, we've, we've been, we've put our, our opinions in amongst the feature, but what we've tried to do is present a, a fair and balanced view of the landscape as it stands and, and take into account that there are some really strong opinions and, and not duck those. Um, we wanted to give the ECB proper interrogation on some of the things that they've said, yep. um, but also not just repeatedly stick the boot in as, has become the norm in some circles to actually give them a chance to to explain what they think. And, and we certainly point out in the piece, in fact, I think you do, that the PR around it has been um, a disaster from day one. Did I say that? I think so. Maybe not in quite those terms.
2: Yeah. I say a lot of things towards the back end of um, the magazine run. But the one, I mean,
1: Tom Harrison absolutely commits to the 18-county model. I mean, if, if in the next few years the ECB move away from that, then there is pretty clear lines here that that they would have to, to go against. They, they would essentially be lying to us now. Um, mm-hmm. You can decide whether you, you think they would or not, but Tom mm-hmm. Harrison is absolutely clear. The 18-county model is going nowhere.
2: It's probably the heftiest issue that we've done. It's exhausting. Yeah, a- yeah. Ravi Ashwin, uh, Ravichandran Ashwin, um, gives us a rare uh, interview. Uh, John Stern does an excellent interview with, with Ashwin. Uh, and he is a kind of champion cricketer turned... Kind of environmental campaigner activist, would you yeah, say? Yeah.
1: So he says he's he's using his using his platform. He says this is not propaganda, and he wants to use his his platform to make people aware of climate change, pollution, and for people to know that they're all in it together. Mm. Uh, and
2: which is which is a breakaway from your average cricket interview.
1: I would yeah, say. absolutely. I mean, he's got the he's he's established enough in the game to know that he can get away with saying these things without too much fear of recrimination. Yeah. Uh, and hopefully, he will. Be the first of many to speak up on, on these issues
2: elsewhere. Uh, Andrew Fidel Fernando, um, Crick, Crick Info by Day, Wisdom Cricket Monthly by Night, does a brilliant piece. Um, The End of Exile Test Cricket Returns to Pakistan. He was in the midst of that two test series against Sri Lanka just before Christmas. Um, typically brilliant piece by him. Uh, and you, Jimmy Boy. Major, oh, yeah. major, long-awaited debut. I was
0: waiting. I was waiting for you. Yeah. To, uh, say it's something. actually a
2: rather beautiful piece—the oh, the seventeenth draft of it. It's absolutely <laughs> glorious, um, <laughs> genuinely so. Uh, Nasser Hussein's hundred and three not out is your favourite innings, James. Why?
0: Oh, I mean, it's a hard—it's a hard one. I think I sort of touched on this at, at the start of the piece. To be asked what your favourite innings is—is—is is, is, you know—it's Sophie's choice. It's all those things. But I think I was at the right age. Um, it, I I admired him. I respected him so much. He changed the England team. He made them the sort of the men that went on to win the Ashes. I think Vaughan gets a bit too much credit for that, um, and Nasser mm-hmm. sort of should perhaps get a bit more because he gave England the backbone. And I just thought that it's not often in cricket touching on that stuff about Bairstow and Crawley. Early. You know, sometimes cricket can be hugely humiliating and. Uh, you'd well look at Flanders last game, you know, it doesn't go the way that it should do for certain characters, but I thought
2: it's rare that it ends, like
0: yeah. And saying. so, to cream a, a cover drive to the boundary to bring up a 100 and then the next ball win the match, and you're in uh, he hadn't decided beforehand, I don't think. I think he just did that and decided Indeed. that was Indeed. that was the way to go is pretty, um, pretty incredible. So, yeah, that's that's for NASA,
2: just finally, Joe. Anything else in this one? Um.
1: Know? comedian and poet Tim Key oh. talks us through his perfect day at the cricket um, and ponders whether he might be related to, to Rob Key um, and hopes that he is uh, he takes Emma Bunton along to his day at the cricket like which, which was nice um, yeah so that's basically there's loads of good stuff in it um, <laughs> go and buy it uh, wisdom.com Please. wisdom.com you can get hold of a copy without even having to walk to the shops um, so yeah that's that
2: that is that any other news on playing right. cricket well
1: elsewhere in cricket so ready for a speedy round up here cuz yeah, you've got a bit word. to get through. Um Stay with us folks. New Zealand have just lost another super over. Uh, this time to India in Hamilton, where Rohit Sharma hit back-to-back sixes from the final two deliveries of India's super-over to chase down 18 and take an unassailable 3-0 lead Stirred in the five-match series. In, in <laughs> we Everyone were, else we was were quite grit. excited. Phil was calling it just another T20. <laughs> um, Phil went so anyway. to the kitchen in, in the, sort of the fourth ball of the second over. Anyway, came when who, won again? who won again? Oh, I don't know. Yeah. Ian Smith was commentating again. Uh, Kane Williamson's 95, his highest score in T20 internationals, was in vain. Um, elsewhere, Zimbabwe are giving Sri Lanka a good game in Harare as we speak. Uh, a century from captain Sean Williams helping his side mm. post 406 in their first innings. Sri Lanka were 237 for six when I last looked. Uh, Sri, Sri Lanka won the first Test by 10 wickets, uh, but it's fantastic to see Zimbabwe playing Test cricket again. They didn't play a single Test in 2019, and you remember they were briefly suspended by the ICC, mm. readmitted in October last year. Hopefully this is the start of happier times in, in Zimbabwe cricket.
2: I think it's been really stirring to see. Uh, they put up, as you say, a really good fight in the first Test match, although it fell away. Angelo Matthews made a double and uh, in this Test match as well, it may well go that way as well come the end of it, but as, as things stand, they've racked up good first innings runs again and you say Sean Williams made a brilliant 100 there, 130 ball 100 from number five, having and he's the skipper they just went too slowly in the first test you know it was kind of agonising going at two and over in that first innings. this time they've lived a little bit Sikander Raza as well brilliant cricketer he made made a a quick 70 as well in that first innings they get over past 400 uh, and whether they go down in that game or not they're showing that you know decent test match teams can go over to, to Zimbabwe and be given a decent game it's great it's really really positive actually it
0: must be see. hard for them as well to you know that they've not played for so long to sort of get all that
1: team spirit Absolutely. stuff and in, just and, switch to that format having yeah. played so much white ball cricket as well yeah
2: yeah very positive to see that
1: uh, a couple of bits of county cricket news uh, exciting signings for Kent and North Ants fans Matt Henry uh, the Kiwi Seamer who was pretty much unplayable when he first played for Kent in 2018 mm. His return is returning to Canterbury for the first seven games of the championship season Quick. so you would think he'd rack them up a, f- a few victories in that time early season uh, while the North Ants Steelbacks have pulled off a major coup by signing West Indies white ball captain Kieran Pollard for the blast uh, it's great to see Pollard in county cricket again and good to see the blast at attracting some Big names despite the 100 on the horizon.
0: It's an interesting one, isn't it? I think that... Do you think that they are doing that because they know that the hundred's coming and all the best players, apart from the Indians, are coming over and so they've sort of found some more coffers somewhere to snare these bigger names?
2: Well, whisper it. They may have found a few coffers due to the 100. True. Whisper it. Yeah. Although not quite the 1.3 million that has been advertised. It's a bit more complex than that. As indeed Will Brown, Gloucester CEO, outlines in Wisden Cricket Monthly.
1: Lovely. Good linking, Phil. And uh, finally, uh, this is a, a nice story. Uh, Shil Berry, oh. a former editor of the Wisdom Almanac and long-time cricket correspondent for the Daily Telegraph, has covered his final test match overseas, hanging up his touring boots after England's victory in Johannesburg. S.H.I.E.L.D. has reported on 475 test matches, which is believed to be a world record, and toured with England for 43 years. Uh, Danny Rubin, England's media officer, described S.H.I.E.L.D. as the godfather of the press box. Phil, is that an accurate description from from Danny?
2: Totally. Uh, A towering figure. Uh, An incurable romantic. Um, If you ever doubt your love for the game, and I do, and I, I think even you do, Joe, sometimes. Never, never. never. Uh, just go and have a chat to Shieldberry for a couple of minutes. He'll invariably have uh, a little training ball in his pocket that he takes to interviews. And when he's waiting for his slot, he gets the ball out. Uh, he generally finds someone to play with him. It's, it's been me before. And he rolls the ball along and it bounces in different directions. It's one of these like, funky little, little oh, training yeah. aids. Yeah. And he always carries it around with him because he yeah. wants to keep his eye in. He is a man not just in love with the, you know, the pageantry of the the international game and this, that, and the other. He's in love with the the game in the raw. He still plays now. He bowls really, really spin, tasty yeah. leg breaks. Yeah, um, he's just a, a genuinely beautiful, vast, humane individual. Uh, he's also um, quite a hard taskmaster when you're fielding for him. I, I played in a game <laughs> in Australia, and he, as I say, bowls these very, very nice leggers. Um, but he decided that I was the only fielder worth, worth his salt in this silly game that we were playing against an Aboriginal 11 in Australia. And so deposited me to every corner of the ground, changing his field with every delivery. And then, as batsmen <laughs> would change and lefties would come in, he'd be shifting me from deep square to, to backward point to, to Do you Long think he took a shine
0: to you, or do you think he was sort of punishing you in some way? So maybe, how poor was maybe, the rest maybe he of these fielders? <laughs> well.
2: romantic spirit, Jimmy Boy. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, his, his last piece for The Telegraph was glorious. Uh, and there was a—he allowed himself a, a little bit of indulgence towards the end. Where, and I'm going to quote this: uh, "The very best thing about touring all these years with England. Well, she skipped down the steps of the team hotel in Pune, as Pune, was in 1981, wearing a tight pair of jeans and mischievous smile. In that instant, I was simultaneously clean, bold, stumped, and caught down the leg side. Now, therefore." Before the great umpire raises his finger, I wish to spend less time living out of a suitcase and more at home with her.
1: And we should say Shield is is continuing writing. He's not he's not hanging up his boots entirely. This is from his overseas tours. Well, so we're trying was... to get him in for the next magazine. <laughs> yeah,
2: it's <laughs> nice case some, on Shield.
0: some spare time. I thought it was Glorious lovely spring. that um he's been at the England coalface. You know, reporting for forty three years, seen the most amount of Test cricket of anyone alive. Is that right? Yeah. And in his, I just saw his his thing on Twitter saying that he's. He loves the game so much, he's looking forward to getting back and playing more. So that is the beauty he of cricket. He documents that-
2: every, every ball he bowls as well. Uh, he, he knows every wicket he's taken. He'll tell you exactly how many wickets he's taken each month, each week, for the last 50, 60, 70 years. Uh, and, he, and he takes it deadly seriously. It's beautiful. Um, Ali Martin christened him Adil uh, Rashield. Um, in that game just about that works didn't I, I mention <laughs> <Yeah>. just about <laughs> yeah, worth a you, mention you move, from, you move away from the sun but it never quite leaves you
1: <laughs> well I think that is a nice place to leave it well done Jim you got through your first podcast yeah it's very hot in here it is very hot the sun is kind of burning us <laughs> yeah. uh, in the oval yeah, press for box the here. D. Uh here and uh, thanks as ever Phil <laughs>
2: Pleasure,
1: Joe. No worries. Thanks, Joe. Well, host. Well, well, much. Uh, And I imagine Yaz will be back soon. Um, If not, not might be me again. I reckon you've got the gig. Cheers, all. And uh, if you've liked what you've heard, please uh, leave a nice review, five-star review, if you like, uh, on the podcast app.
4: Podcast Network.